Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton, and you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know I love to geek out about science, and we're going to do a little bit of that. We're going to dive into the science, but we're also going to keep it really basic and super practical, which is my favorite, because geeking out without the practical application, in my opinion, is pretty worthless, unless you're just looking for like Animal Planet kind of stuff to entertain you, but we want to change. We want to improve. We want to get healthy. We want to improve our physiques and have more energy. So way back when, like probably, I don't know, six or seven months ago, I put together a quiz to help you assess your carb sensitivity. And before you ask, it's not available anymore. I was using a software that was way too expensive, but I still have the data. Basically, I put out questions about cravings, bloating, weight gain, and from the results, like over 80% of you were carb sensitive, carb sensitive, right? We feel like we put on weight when we just walk past carbohydrates. But here's the thing, guys, that's not how we are wired. It might be how we are now as a result of the standard American diet and the impact that the standard American diet or the impact that yo-yo dieting has on our hormones, but it doesn't have to be the way we stay because it's certainly not the way we were designed to be. I know for me, my carbohydrate sensitivity, which improves month after month, my carb sensitivity is due to the fact that I yo-yo dieted and ate like crap for the majority of my life, right? Lots of binge eating, lots of dieting, on again, off again, total hormonal chaos created my carb sensitivity. But we can make a change here. I remember when I first put that quiz out, so many people were like, oh, I knew it. I'm carb sensitive. As if it was like, oh, I knew it. I have the gene for blah, 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 or whatever it is. And that's not just because it's the way we are doesn't have to mean that it's the way that we stay. We can improve our carbohydrate tolerance. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How to do that how to do that starting now. And the reality is, and I have to address this because I know I'll get a lot of questions about it, there's a lot of terrible information out there about carb tolerance, carb sensitivity, insulin resistance, all that stuff. And there are a ton of people, whether it's bloggers, podcasters, personal trainers, even doctors, that miss the nuances. They miss the fact that we're all different. They see themselves, for example, they might see that they are very carb tolerant and lean, and then they'll say, see, eating carbs is the way to stay lean, because look at me, I eat all these carbs and I'm super, super lean. And they present the information as if everybody has a uniformly high carb tolerance, and that's not true. 
But I will also say that there are plenty of people painting the reverse picture. There are people who demonize carbohydrates and say you can't burn you can't burn fat and eat carbs. And they're coming at it from the perspective that everybody has a uniformly low carbohydrate tolerance, which is not true. And what I like to teach people is that there is a way to consume carbs for optimal fat loss, which I call the golden rules of carbs and fat loss, right? And if we are carb sensitive, we do not have to stay carb sensitive. If we are insulin resistant, we do not have to stay insulin resistant. Because unlike your blood type, which isn't changing, you can change your carb tolerance, you can change your insulin sensitivity, and that's what we're gonna focus on. So first, let's kind of differentiate between carbohydrate tolerance and insulin resistance. What do they mean? What are they? And carb tolerance, I mean, it's kind of like what it sounds like. How efficiently your body handles carbohydrates when you consume them. People who are not carbohydrate tolerant, the opposite way to say that or saying the same thing is basically people who are very sensitive to carbohydrates. They feel like they're intolerant of carbohydrates. Those are the people that, like I said, you feel like you walk past the bread basket and you put on five pounds or they struggle with cravings. Maybe they feel like they're a sugar addict or a carb addict. They have wild fluctuations in hunger and in energy. And a lot of people who have a low tolerance to carbohydrates, they really struggle with weight loss. And they feel like they put on weight easily, but struggle to take it off, right? Whereas some people can lose weight in a snap and have to work hard to gain weight. People who are really sensitive to carbohydrates feel the opposite. It's a real struggle to take weight off and effortlessly they can put weight on. Insulin sensitivity is related, but it's different, right? Insulin sensitivity is how well your body responds to the hormone insulin, which is related to carbohydrates, but it's a different thing, right? Because carbs are one thing and insulin is another, and we have to be able to respond well to carbs, and we need to have a healthy insulin response. When we are insulin resistant, this is associated with weight gain, with obviously diabetes, heart disease, depression, a bazillion health challenges, including low energy and all sorts of stuff, but we can change this. And when we do, not only do we burn fat more efficiently, we improve our health, we have more energy, we eliminate our cravings and we stabilize our hunger while also stabilizing our mood, increasing our physical performance in exercise and improving our hormone balance. And I've done a bazillion episodes on insulin, which I'll link to over in the show notes. If you have questions or you feel like, I'm not really sure I understand how insulin fits into this, start with episode 58058, which is all about understanding fat loss and the insulin effect. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes, or you can just grab episode 58. But I also have an entire e-course, which I rarely talk about, on carbohydrate strategies that goes into all of this stuff, insulin, carbs, sugar, gluten, wheat, alcohol, artificial sweeteners in tons of detail. So I'm not, obviously, I'm not gonna cover every single element of it today. I wanna talk about how we can improve our carbohydrate tolerance, all right? When we do this, we feel better, we lose weight, right? When carbohydrate tolerance is improved, insulin management is improved, right? And that means burning fat becomes easier. So in the short term, 
It's things like the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. But in the longer term, what can we do to allow our bodies, this is the bottom line here, to consume more carbs, but still burn fat and stay lean. So I'm going to talk about three very specific strategies. and I'm going to go into some of the sciencey stuff that I love because I think it's going to help you understand why we're doing what we're doing. And the first thing that we can do in the short term and the long term, this produces a long term effect, is eat fewer carbohydrates. And this could be smaller portion sizes eating them less frequently, right? Because this ensures that your carbohydrate storage in your muscle tissue and your liver isn't always full. I want you to imagine it this way. Let's say there's a hotel, right? And all the rooms are full. Well, you can show up and ask for a room and they're gonna be like, sorry, we don't have one. You're like, seriously, it's just me. It's not like I showed up with a busload of people, it's just me. And they're gonna say, I know, but our rooms are full, right? Or if you showed up with the bus full of people but the hotel wasn't full, well then it's easy for the hotel to accommodate the busload of people. You might be like, what in the world are you talking about? Here's the deal. When you consume carbohydrates, right? Whatever your body doesn't immediately need for function, for energy, immediately, in that moment, it sucks it away in your muscle tissue, all right? Now, the problem is that when you are consuming carbs, either in high, high quantities, like larger portion sizes, or very frequently, it means that that short-term storage space is always full. So when you consume carbs and your body goes to digest it, it immediately says like all full here, no vacancy in the muscle tissue. So even if you've only had a little bit, it spills over. And where does it spill over to? When that short term storage space in the liver or the muscle is full, what happens? Well, it gets converted to fat and is stored in your adipose tissue. So if you make sure that that storage space in your muscle tissue isn't always full, and there are multiple ways to do this, but right now we're eating fewer carbs, either smaller portion sizes or less frequently, right? When you do this and you ensure that that storage space isn't always full, well then when you consume carbs, your body's like, oh yeah, 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 we've got room here in the muscle tissue. But the challenge is that so many people, like when they start their day with a bowl of cereal and then they have a granola bar a little bit later and then they have some rice at lunch and then they have a handful of crackers for an afternoon snack and then they have pasta with their dinner and then they have some fruit for dessert. Well, what's happening is even if you're only consuming a small amount of carbs, you're setting yourself up to where it's like, hey, but it's just this much and your muscle tissue is saying, yeah, we don't have any room though, right? So those carbs are always getting turned away at the muscle tissue, all right? Insulin only becomes a factor after your body evaluates, do we have room in the short-term storage for this or not? Now, insulin plays a role in getting it into that short-term storage in the muscle tissue, but the reality is, if it gets turned away at that point, you're setting yourself up for inefficient carbohydrate management because you're constantly keeping all the rooms at the end full. You don't have any space for those carbohydrates to consume. So it doesn't matter if you had six pieces of bread with your plate of pasta or you had a banana. All rooms are full at the inn, right? 
So I'm not demonizing carbohydrates. I'm really not. This whole episode is about how you can create more tolerance for them in your body. And if you're coming at this from a place of low carbohydrate tolerance, you can improve your body's ability to handle them by eating them less often right? And that doesn't mean not eating them at all. Go ahead and enjoy your, especially your non-starchy vegetables. Those are carbohydrates liberally throughout the day. But the reality is you don't need the sweet potato every day or the rice every day or the oats or the pasta every single day. You don't. You absolutely don't. And when you're constantly consuming them without emptying out that muscle tissue with exercise or just reduced uh, reduced consumption, then you're never creating a situation where your body can handle them appropriately. One of the ways that I talk about this in terms of implementation is with the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. I am not talking about a ketogenic diet here. That's certainly an option for you, but I'm not saying that that's what you need to do. I'm talking about just getting a little bit smarter about your carbohydrate consumption. I'm going to link to a very detailed post that I wrote outlining the golden rules of carbs and fat loss, or you can go to primalpotential.com and search golden rules and it'll come right up. But the golden rules of carbs and fat loss are about carb timing, carb quantity, carb quality, and carb company. So when we talk about carbohydrate timing and your goal is fat loss and or your goal is improving your body's response to carbohydrates, improving your carbohydrate tolerance, then I would encourage you to limit your carbohydrates to the end of the day, right? Your dinner time meal. But again, vegetables are carbohydrates and I don't want you to worry about those non-starchy vegetables because they're primarily water and fiber. So consume those liberally throughout the day. But any of your starchier vegetables, any sugar, any fruit for best results, have that later in the day. Carb quantity is about limiting it because remember, your just like the rooms in a hotel are limited, your short, short-term storage for carbohydrates is really, really limited. And so if you're constantly throwing stuff at it in terms of quantity, you're having, you know, a cup of mashed potatoes and a, a piece of bread and some juice and a piece of fruit, you're constantly putting your body in a position where it's like, sorry, we have to roll it over. We have to. We don't have any space for this in our short-term storage. It has to be stored as body fat. So general rule of thumb, when you have those carbohydrates later in the day, keep it around one half of a cup. Now, I'm not a fan of measuring. You can eyeball it. I think we all know that when you go out to dinner, that big plate of pasta they bring you is far more than a half a cup. So round about a half a cup, all right? Carb quality refers to making sure that the majority of the carbs you consume are from whole food sources, not processed foods. So like pasta would be a processed food. It doesn't grow out of the ground. Bread would be a processed food. It is processed. You might not like to hear that, but it is. It didn't grow from a tree or out of the ground that way. Um, a granola bar would be processed. Something that would be less processed would be a potato or a sweet potato or a piece of fruit. So more often than not, when you consume your carbs, right, at the right time and in the right quantity, search for quality. Choose whole food carbohydrates more than processed food carbohydrates. And then the carb company is about minimizing 
the impact of the carbohydrate on your blood sugar. And one of the easiest ways to do this is if you're going to consume carbohydrates, have it with some protein. If you just have that banana on its own, it has more of a significant impact on your blood sugar than if you have that banana with um, some almond butter or a handful of nuts or something like that, uh, which is either fat or protein or a combination of both because it's going to slow down the digestive process. And when we slow down the digestive process, we just don't see the same rapid increase in blood sugar. All right. So when we talk about improving our carbohydrate tolerance, we talk about eating fewer carbohydrates in terms of quantity, but also less often in terms of frequency. There is no magic number here, guys, and I'm giving you some outlines with the golden rules of carbs and fat loss, but the most important factor here is what represents an improvement for you. What represents an improvement for you? If you're currently consuming carbohydrates at breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, dessert, well, you don't have to just have a car one single half cup of carbohydrates at dinner. Maybe you cut the carbs from your breakfast first and you still have your snack, your lunch, your afternoon snack, your dinner, your dessert. It's about an improvement. It's about an improvement. So I don't want anybody getting hung up on like, I can't make that big of a leap. Nobody said that you had to. It's all about, here's the spectrum. Here's where I'm at. This is sort of the gold standard for results. How can I move along this spectrum? I got an email from somebody this morning that said they start to feel sick to their stomach after if they have more than two or three servings of fruit at once. And I'm like, okay. So have one or two servings of fruit at once instead of two or three, right? It's all about what represents an improvement for you and then monitoring your body's response. All right, let's geek out in a little bit of a deeper way. The second way to improve your carbohydrate tolerance is by exercising more. And when we exercise more, not only do we empty out these muscle glycogen stores where our short-term carbohydrate storage is, kind of like telling the guests at the hotel to leave so that there's vacancy available the next time the bus shows up. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is the physiological changes we can make to increase the number and the sensitivity of the glucose transporters that live within our muscle tissue. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. But the first part about emptying out those carbohydrate stores. When we exercise, we use up the glycogen stored in our muscle tissue so long as, there's a little catch here, if you go into a workout and you've just had a meal, well, that's the immediate fuel source your body is going to defer to, right? Because it's right there, it's in your bloodstream, right? But if that isn't available, then your body is going to go to your muscle glycogen. So exercise is really valuable in terms of making space in the muscle tissue. So the next time you have a carbohydrate included meal, it's not going, oh, there's no space in the muscle tissue. So we really need to convert this to fat and store it in your adipose tissue. Lifting weights is a great way to do this, right? It's not the only way, but it is a great way because your muscle tissue needs more energy when you're lifting weights than, say, you're out for a walk, right? In an episode of 100, uh, episode 160, I talked about some of the pillars of efficient exercise. So if you haven't listened to 160 and you have questions about exercise, definitely go back and look at this. But there's this second part that I want to talk about. So the first thing is just 
simply making room in your muscle tissue because that's finite storage, about 400 grams of storage throughout all your muscle tissue. You wanna make sure that that's not always perpetually full. But the second part, like I said, is about the glucose transporters in your muscle tissue. We want our muscle tissue to be really responsive to insulin so that our insulin response is quick and efficient. And this responsiveness is related to, in part, our glucose transporters, specifically a subset of these glucose transporters called GLUT4s, the number four. They live in our muscle tissue, and I want you to think of them as the doorways through which glucose enters your muscle tissue. They have to go through these doorways. When we have more of these GLUT4s, these doorways, then our muscle tissue responds more quickly and we are more sensitive to insulin and less resistant. That's a good thing. We want that. When they are more sensitive, they're more responsive, and they swing open and let the glucose out of the blood so your blood sugar doesn't stay elevated for as long, your insulin doesn't stay as elevated for long, and you are a more efficient fat burner. But there's two things going on here. Some people don't have as many of these doorways. They don't have as many GLUT4s in their muscle. So that's one problem. The other problem is in some people, they just aren't very responsive, right? It's kind of like the difference between having a revolving door, which you step into and it just moves like poof, magic, no effort required, and having an old creaky door that you really have to like jimmy and shake in order to get it to open up. So some people just don't have as many glucose transporters, and some people just have like old stodgy non-responsive glucose transporters, and some people have both issues, but some people have tons of glucose transporters and or really responsive, sensitive, swing wide open glucose transporters. But guys, here's the great thing. You can increase the number of your glucose transporters and you can change them from old stodgy stuck doors to swing wide open, double doors, French doors, revolving doors, whatever, however you wanna think about it, right? I want you to imagine when we have either a reduced number of glucose transporters or they aren't very responsive. It's kind of like there's a pile up outside the door, right? You've got all this sugar that wants to get in, but there aren't many doorways to get through. And the doorways that are there are just not really responding. And so this pile up means elevated blood sugar for longer, elevated insulin for longer, right? Which means you're not burning fat, right? So how much you matters here too, because or how much you how much you eat matters here too, because if you just have a little bit of carbohydrate, that's a smaller pile up. Yeah, it might be slower getting through the doorway. It might take a little bit more insulin to get the doorway to swing wide open. But there's a big difference between the pile up that is there with a pizza and a bottle of wine versus uh, a granola bar, right? So imagine you've got people trying to get into a building. You got a bunch of people outside a building and they want to get in. What are the factors? Really think about this. What are the factors that make sure the people get into the building quickly? Well, number one, how many people are there? The more people, the longer it takes them to get more in, to get inside. So number one is how many people are there? Number two is how many ways are there to get in? How many doorways? If all of the people have to go through one entrance, it's going to take longer than if there's 10 entrances 
or if there's 10 people trying to get into one entrance or 100 people trying to get into one entrance versus 10 people trying to get in through 10 entrances or 10 people trying to get in through one entrance or 100 people trying to get in through one entrance. The other thing is, how easy is it to get in? You know, when you go to a concert or an arena and they have like those turnstiles, it takes a longer time for people to get through when they have to like stop and adjust their handbag so that they can push through the turnstile and not get it stuck. And it takes longer. That would be like an example of an insensitive glucose transporter. It's like the turnstile. You sort of have to stand there for a second and turn your hips and push through and all of that difficulty. And this is what's going on inside our muscle tissue related to our glucose transporters. It's just like this. Do you want a huge traffic jam of sugar hanging out in your blood, keeping insulin elevated? Or do you want to clear it fast? You want to clear it fast as possible. So this depends on, just like the people, how big is the crowd? How much did you eat of what type of carbohydrate? A higher sugar, higher starch carb like pretzels is going to have a bigger crowd trying to get through those doorways than if you had an apple, right? Similarly, if you had 100 pretzels versus 10 pretzels, that makes a difference too. So how many people are there trying to get in? How much sugar is there trying to get in? And then the second thing is, how many doorways are there through which they can enter the muscle tissue? How many glucose transporters do you have? And how sensitive are they? How easily do they swing open? Are they the old stodgy door or this turnstile? Or do they just like swing wide open? And exercise makes the difference here. Diet makes the difference in number one, how much glucose is there? What did you eat? How much of it did you eat, right? But then exercise addresses numbers two and three, the number of doorways and the responsiveness of them. Lifting weights increases, like literally, you can increase the number of the glucose transporters in your muscle tissue when you lift weights. And the other thing you do is increase the sensitivity of the ones you already have. This is why weight training is so, so important, right? Weight training is unique in the generation of more glucose transporters, partially because you're creating more muscle tissue. More muscle tissue, more glucose transporters, and higher sensitivity of the glucose transporters you already have. Fantastic. And then, of course, additionally, when you exercise, whether it's weightlifting or not, you are clearing out the glycogen storage in the muscle tissue so that the next time you consume carbohydrates, it's ready to go. So we talked about diet. We talked about exercise. I want to talk about stress. Because improving your carbohydrate tolerance is not just about diet and exercise. It is also about lifestyle. Your ability to metabolize carbohydrates, your ability to control your insulin response is also about stress. So many people are missing the forest through the trees and they hyper focus on diet and exercise, which are great. But sometimes they do that while creating more stress or at a minimum refusing to deal with the stress that they have and that reduces their ability to manage carbohydrates, to tolerate carbohydrates. We must look at all of the factors. What I'm talking about here is chronic stress, right? Not sleeping enough, manufacturing stress and anxiety over every little thing, or maybe too much exercise without enough recovery. That's not a problem for most people, but it certainly is for some. 
Cortisol and insulin are like two borderline behavior kids, right? If you get the two of them together, you're guaranteed to have trouble. But if you deal with them one-on-one, -on -one, they might be real gems, real angels. When you get cortisol and insulin elevated together, you can expect trouble. Bad news. Fat storing is put on overdrive while fat burning is suppressed. Cortisol increases your insulin resistance, which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here. So one of the low-hanging fruit ways to improve your insulin responsiveness and therefore your carbohydrate tolerance is lowering cortisol. Lowering cortisol. We cannot, I, I don't want anybody to underestimate the impact of stress on fat loss. It is not just about diet and exercise. I get it. What you put in your mouth is a primary driver of results, but so many people are so chronically stressed and they're like, yeah, 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 just shut up and tell me what to eat. How about you just chill out and really work on managing your insulin response? And when you aren't so tightly wound, I bet you'll find yourself just naturally making better food choices, right? We have to focus on the stress response. I've done a number of episodes on this, and I will link to them over on the show notes at primalpotential.com. There's a lot of different ways to control cortisol, to, to, to uh, manage your cortisol response, lower cortisol, give your adrenals a little bit of a break. Maybe you need fewer stimulants, like less caffeine. Maybe you need to dial back the energy drinks and the coffee. Maybe you need to meditate. Maybe you need to simplify your life or clean up your space, declutter your room, your pantry, your desk, your, your car, your office, whatever it is. Please do not overlook the power of your stress response in fat loss, weight loss, improving your carbohydrate tolerance, hormone balance, it's really, really important. I want to wrap up by reminding you that we are soon to kick off the May challenge, which is all about tracking, writing down what you eat and how it makes you feel. And because I talk about the importance of tracking all the time, and I just did an episode on it, I believe, Last week, I did a full episode on how to track and why to track. I have created a free 31-day food journal because I want you to commit to writing down every single thing that passes your lips as well as how it makes you feel for the entire month of May, every single day with no excuses and no exceptions. And if you want to take on that challenge, I want to give you this free journal to help you be successful. You can text the word TRACKING to the number 33444, or if you are not in the United States or you don't want to text, you can just go to primalpotential.com, you can go to the show notes page for this episode or for the tracking episode, or depending on when you go, you might see a little banner right on the homepage to help you get this as well. But I want to help you really make this a habit. So I've created that free journal to help you do so. All right, what I ate yesterday, I'm giggling about it because I know I'm going to get so many questions as soon as I say this. I always end the show with what I ate yesterday, and yesterday was a little bit different because in the morning I had colon hydrotherapy. Not not anything weird going on, not any not any illness or anything like that. But basically, you just have your your colon flushed out with water. Um, and uh, I did that yesterday, so I didn't eat 
until after that. So I didn't have coffee. I just had water. Uh, morning without coffee makes for a very unhappy girl. Uh, but uh, yeah, I had colon hydrotherapy in the morning. I might I might write about that at some point in time, but not today. Um, and then my food was really gentle after that. I didn't want to have like cruciferous vegetables or anything that would require too much of my digestive tract because I had just sort of massaged it with some uh, gentle water cleansing. Uh, so I had some scrambled eggs in the mid-afternoon and then I made an avocado mousse, which is basically just you take a ripe avocado and I mixed in a little bit of stevia extract, some cacao powder. And so it's like a chocolate pudding, but it's made with avocado. Um, and then later I mashed up a can of salmon with some Primal Kitchen mayo. I really don't like mayo, but I had it and it was there and it was soft and I wanted to be gentle on my colon after my colon hydrotherapy which I'm sure people will be like, what? Why? When? How much? What does it do? What does it feel like? Someday, maybe. Uh, but anyway, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you will take some of the strategies and put them into action. I have outlined them on the show notes, and I really, really, really hope that you are on board for the May challenge of tracking every single day. And if you are in it, I hope that you will get the free 31-day journal I have created for you. You can get it by texting the word tracking to the number 33444 or going over to the show notes page for this episode or the tracking episode at primalpotential.com. Talk to you guys soon. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.